singing those songs that kind of made me feel like Jeremiah. I was weeping as we were singing the songs there. And uh, I don't know, those songs were a message in and of themselves. I mean, they were, they were powerful and uh, I don't know, they were really stirring my heart. And I hope they were stirring yours too. Um, let me just hit play here. All right, it's working. Good. So we're in the 20th uh, week of Believe series. If you've been following along, it's been <clears throat> establishing one layer upon another. And it started uh, building our appetites with the sincere milk of the word. And slowly it introduced some solid food to help us uh, grow and to strengthen our body as a whole. <clears throat> And uh, sometimes, as I read the Bible, uh, I get this idea that the people we read about, they're like superheroes. I don't know if you, if you get that idea, they're superheroes. You know, the kind of person that they're head and shoulders above the rest. Um, they have the strength of Samson. They have uh, the, the uh, oratory skills of David. They have the wisdom of Solomon. But the reality is that these were just everyday believers like you and I. And as you read through the Bible, you notice that they had some insecurities just like we do. And think of it, Moses, he felt uh, ill-equipped to confront Pharaoh. Uh, Jeremiah said, I can't speak, I'm, I'm just a child. Gideon, the mighty man of valor, he was, he was hiding while his village was being pillaged. Now think of the Apostle Paul. You know, everywhere he went, this man boldly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. He proclaimed the cross everywhere he went. And he did it even though to the Jews it was a stumbling block and to the Greeks it was foolishness. And yet, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul, he asked them to pray for him. And his prayer request was that he would have the proper words to use when he was sharing his faith. And that he would be able to speak without fear in order to make the gospel known. Not something that we would expect from a bold person like Paul. So on a scale of 1 to 10... How would you rate yourself when it comes to sharing your faith? Are you, as, are you bold as a lion? You say, you know what, Brother Mark, you don't understand. When it comes to sharing my faith or evangelizing, it sends me into a state of fear. You know what, if that's the case, you're in good company because I think most of all, of us will fall into that category. I think we all fall into the category of we get fearful of sharing our faith. You know what that category is called? The chicken category. That's what I fall into right there. And as strange as it sounds, might I suggest that that's actually a good place to be? You don't want to be bold as a lion. You want to be a chicken. That's where you want to start. Because when I'm weak... It should drive me to my knees. 
And that's going to humble me. And then God himself will supply me with the strength that I need to get that task done. And besides, if I have so much confidence in my own abilities, I might start thinking that I had something to do with somebody coming to faith in Christ. Again, consider the Apostle Paul. You know, we might give him a 10 for boldness, but if, if we can go and ask him, where would you put yourself on this scale, Paul? Uh, I don't think he put himself anywhere near a 10. Again, listen to what he asked the church at Ephesus. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says that we ought to speak boldly. We need to pray like Paul did, because I don't have the ability to speak boldly by myself. So with that, my expectation is not that by the end of this hour everybody's going to be as bold as a lion, not at all. Uh, That would just be unreasonable. My hope and prayer is that those of us that are in the chicken category will move up to the goose category. That's it. That's just that literal step that I want us to take. So in Acts chapter 8, what happens is there's another transition for the church at Jerusalem. There had been this large growth. Uh, The group of believers has grown substantially. And they've put their faith in Jesus. And they were sharing their faith. But then the persecution really stepped up. Stephen was stoned to death. And then Saul of Tarsus, he started going into people's homes and arresting them. And this drove the Christians to the outskirts of where they were normally uh, going. And they went out, but they still continued to preach the gospel without hesitation. So we're going to pick up at verse 25 of chapter 8 in the book of Acts. It says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem on the Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for their worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot to read Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to, thy ch- to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they 
went on their way, they came onto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I would have to describe the book of Acts as one of the most thrilling, high-energy, action-packed, suspense-filled historical facts. I mean, the stuff isn't made up. It's a historical fact. And as you read it, you just get engrossed in it with what's happening and with the different people that are mentioned in there. And you can sense in some way what they're going through. And as you're going through this book, it just ignites something within you. You know, you want to be Philip. I want to be Philip. And I want to be the guy that God could use to go up to someone's chariot. But in our case, it's going to be someone's grocery cart at Walmart. You know? Nevertheless, you run up to them. You know, they're in the book section in aisle number three. And they're perusing the books. And then all of a sudden, they pick up this religious book. And you start to talk about Jesus with them. You start to share Jesus with them. Out of the Bible. How he's described in the Word of God. And then they put their faith in Jesus. And then you're both rejoicing. And you're walking down the aisles. And then you're walking along. And you get to to aisle number 12. And behold, the kids' pools are on display. You know? But... You get the picture. You get, you get engrossed with the story. And sometimes I know I have a tendency to you know, let my imagination wander. But you get the point. And if the book of Acts, it doesn't move you to the point of wanting to get involved with that great commission, you need to check your pulse. You need to make sure your heart is still beating. Look at verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. They testified to people that they were familiar with as well as those that they would not normally even associate themselves with. The Samaritans were considered a lower class people to the Jews. But they did it because the gospel affects everyone. The gospel affects you regardless of your cultural or your financial position. And besides, the testimony is not about us. It's not about them. It's all about Jesus. And what's a testimony, ultimately? The definition of a testimony, in one of the many dictionaries out there, it's a defined decree attested to the Scriptures. A first-hand authentication of a fact, an outward sign. A solemn declaration usually made orally by a witness under oath. And an open acknowledgement. So, ultimately, it's based on God's Word. Not our feelings. It's about what Jesus has done for uh, you and for me and for our sin. That's the point. Jesus is the one that took care of the sin problem. But also how Jesus has affected us as a person. It's based on God's words, not our feelings. Because the only way that people can see what Jesus has done for me in my heart 
is through my actions and through my speech. Verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with them. You know, when Philip here is communicating with the eunuch, his actions, his speech, they're sincere. And he is motivated by love. Friendship evangelism doesn't need to take months or even years for it to be built. I mean, Philip just met this man. He was friendly towards him. And the man invited him in. He didn't force his way in. The man invited him in. You know, the outcome would have been very different if Philip, you know, would have been running up and hollering to the guy, hey, hold your horses over there. You know, the outcome would have been very different. You know, his attitude towards the eunuch is what opened the door so that the conversation could take place. Did you know that a great testimony in favor of Jesus Christ, is how a Christian behaves? Before you even open your mouth, the way you behave is a huge testimony for Jesus Christ. Did you also know that a strong testimony against Jesus Christ is how a Christian behaves? You know, there are Christians that you're going to meet and their life is a wonderful, wonderful picture of God's grace. You know, the kind of guy that he's hammering, he hits his thumb, and he says, Glory to God, I got a second thumb. You know, <laughs> nothing, nothing will turn him off. He's always happy. doesn't matter what happens. And then there's those that they lose their religion as soon as they step into a restaurant. You know, outside of the restaurant, they're the most pious person. And as soon as they walk through that door, they become rude, obnoxious, demeaning. And you just hope and pray that they don't mention Jesus or the church. And if they do, you just slink under your table. The Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. You know, as a Christian, we have to remember, we are an ambassador of Christ. That means that you're a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government and as a resident representative of God. That's who you represent, God. And you, my friends, and me, we are appointed for a special but only temporary diplomatic assignment. In other words, you're the authorized representative of Jesus Christ while you're here. And part of that diplomatic duty is having the right demeanor. You know, with all the politics that are going on, I could have shown a lot of pictures, but I figured it wasn't appropriate to do that right now. Some of you were looking at me like you were expecting it, but no, you're safe. You know, what would happen if we sent a diplomat to another country and they behaved inappropriately? It would probably affect what that country thought about our leader. You know, as Christians, we have to be careful not to tarnish the name of Jesus. We want him to be exalted above everyone. That means that the way I behave when I'm around church people, that should be the natural way that I behave. 
It shouldn't be something that a show that I put on while I'm, you know, hanging out with the Christians. And then I forget about it when I'm everywhere else. I also need to remind myself that my actions are actually the evidence that people will use to pass judgment on my Lord and his church. See, a lot of people bash the church, but Jesus loves the church. And I don't want my behavior to be a stumbling block for them to come to Christ. I remember driving on the freeway, and I used my turn signal to indicate a turn because uh, I was going to change lanes. And one of the boys asked me why I was bothering using my signal. It's like we're on this giant freeway. There's no cars around. And this is what I said. I said, I'm, I'm not just signaling for the cars I see. I'm signaling for the cars I don't see. Because what if there's a car in my blind spot? You know, we need to apply that thought to our Christian walk. You know, for example, <clears throat> if I'm a person that uses gossip, I know gossip has many forms, and you know that. Uh, it may even be disguised as a form of concern sometimes. Do I really think it's going to have a positive impact on those around me? You know, do I honestly think that it won't have any effect on my testimony? And that you know, when I tell people about Jesus, they're going to take me seriously? Could you imagine Joseph behaving that way? Joseph is a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine he, him coming up to Pharaoh and saying, Yes, Pharaoh, I'm going to tell you what your dreams are all about and what should concern you. But you know what concerns me? Potiphar is blind and he doesn't know his wife's a floozy. Could you imagine how the Pharaoh would have reacted to Joseph the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we are to keep a good testimony. But it doesn't end there. Because behaving well is not the gospel. Remember, this is about sharing my faith. We need to preach the gospel. Now don't, understand, now, don't misunderstand, I should say, what the word preach actually means. Okay? It doesn't mean that you have to stand in a pulpit. It doesn't mean that you have to stand on the corner of a busy uh, uh, intersection and start evangelizing. You know, some people do that. That's fantastic. But that's not what the word preach means. It simply means to write or speak about something in an approving way and to say something good or necessary. Now, that speaks to how we deliver the gospel, but also... Why we do it? Because we share it because it's good news. And it's necessary because without it, you can't have eternal life. You know, overall Christians, they have a strong desire to share their faith. It's not a question of desire. They have a strong desire to share their faith. The problem is not that, but it's in carrying it out. You know, we want to do it, we know we should. In fact, God commands us to do it. He told us, go into the world, the whole world, and preach the gospel. But there's something that is standing between us agreeing with God and then doing it. You know, there are several reasons why people ultimately 
don't share their faith. In fact, most surveys have probably dozens of reasons. One that seems to climb the ranks nowadays, though, is people are worried about being politically correct. You know, is the whole politically correct movement that's going on. You know, sometimes, although we're more concerned with what people think instead of what God says. And just to be clear, politically correctness uh, is not a new phenomenon. You know, uh, I think we might be just letting it affect us more now uh, and it allows to grow it out of control. But that's not a new phenomenon. By the way, Jesus was not politically correct. Neither was Noah or Moses and so on. So I won't even put that one in the top three. The third most popular reason why people don't share their faith is they felt they were ill-equipped to properly share the gospel. But let me say this. If you have a salvation testimony, if you not only read your Bible, but you study your Bible and you actually apply it to your life, you, my friends, are well-equipped to start sharing the gospel. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip didn't open up with a debate. He didn't open up with the latest science journal that disproves evolution. He opened it at the scriptures, the exact spot that eunuch was reading. He reasoned with him out of the scriptures. You know, the only way we can reason with someone out of the scriptures is if we not only take the time to read it for ourselves, but we meditate on it and we study it. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's where we begin. And sure, as you go, you can add additional tools to assist you. That's fine. You know, uh, maybe learn some apologetics, use tracks, different things. But ultimately, if you're salvation testimony, and you're studying your Bible, that's more than what you need. Well, that's, that's all that you would need. Just remember, we're not called to debate. We aren't doing the converting. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts and converts. We're to give them an answer for the hope that lies within us. The second most popular reason, complacency, lack of compassion, so this comes down to putting others before myself. It's like that Sunday school song, Joy. You know, have you ever heard that? Well, Jesus and others and you, you've heard it? You know, Jesus and others and you. I'm not going to sing the whole song. Okay? But those kids' songs are straight to the point, aren't they? I mean, if Jesus really is number one in my life, I will naturally think of others second and I'm going to become a distant third. And finally... The number one reason people don't share their faith, you've probably guessed it already, fear. The fear of feeling awkward. The fear of being ridiculed. The fear of being rejected, being harassed. You know, we have these fears. But every Sunday we read about the persecuted church. Do we really listen when we speak about the persecuted church, these people are still sharing their faith. And their life is, you know, 
hanging by a thread, ultimately. We don't have to deal with that issue. So we just looked at the top three, but as I mentioned, you know, most surveys have dozens of, of different things on these lists. And I found, though, that if we were to drill down into those statements, it really boils down to these two reasons, or two top reasons. One, a lack of compassion for the lost, and two, the fear of man. When I'm dealing personally with a lack of compassion, I know what's going to cure me. There's always that cure whenever I'm like, just like, no, I'm not even, you know, really being compassionate towards the lost. There's always that, that special pill that I take. I find that meditating, this might sound harsh, meditating on the reality of hell is usually enough to give me the compassion that I need. Because we know that heaven is real, but we also know that hell is real. Study the account of Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. When Lazarus died, his faith was in the God of the Bible. And because of that, he was escorted by the angels to a homecoming event in paradise. Meanwhile, the rich man died also, and he was religious, sure, but, you know, and he probably did a lot of nice things for a lot of people, but his faith wasn't in God. His faith was in, it was in himself and his, his own works, his own goodness. And because of that, the Bible says that as soon as he died, he opened his eyes and was in the flames of hell and was in torment, desiring to have a single drop of water to cool his tongue. I meditate on that. And then I think, he's already been waiting thousands of years. And yet that water will never come and the torment will never end. You know, that rich man's prayer was that for those he knew that they would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. That they would be able to repent and believe. And it's our duty as ambassadors to go and give it to them. You know, we should start our day in a prayer Asking the Lord for today's opportunity to share our faith. You know, when we make our request to God that we can be used, and the thought of the reality of hell, that should dramatically increase my level of compassion for those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That simple prayer now will have me looking for that opportunity. It's going to have me looking throughout the day for that moment when I could you know, preach the truth of God's love to someone. And hopefully, when I find myself with that lack of concern, I'll remember to repent and remember and ask the Lord to stir my heart anew. In 1 John chapter 4, it speaks of how followers of Christ that confess Jesus openly are displaying the evidence that they themselves are filled with the love of God. And in verse 18 of that same chapter, we read, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth not, or sorry, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know, I must let love swallow my fear. And I remember that courage is not the absence of fear. Not at all. It's doing something in spite of the fear. You know, sometimes I carry this little tag as a reminder. 
Let me show you a picture of it here. This little tag right here. It's a lot easier to see up there. It was given to me a few years back by a man that lives near the Hudson Bay. I'm not talking about the store. I'm talking about the actual Hudson Bay. And he recounted the story of when he was a 16-year-old and he went hunting with his father for goose season. He said they came across this gaggle of geese, so they took aim and then they fired. And sure enough, they got their geese, but something astounded him. He said the remaining geese didn't fly off. They just stayed there. And I don't know if you're thinking anything like me, you were thinking, oh, he's probably shooting at decoys, right? But no, they weren't decoys. They were real birds. And his father said, oh, those are Jack Minor birds. And the young man didn't know what his father was talking about. And at this point, I didn't know what this guy was describing to me either. He asked his dad what he meant by those are Jack Minor birds. And how do you know that? And his dad responded, because they don't have the fear of man. That statement hit me. Wow. They don't have the fear of man. Jack Minor was a man that became a Christian. And once he became a Christian, he looked at everything now with a new set of eyes. I mean, he loved nature. And now especially it affected him because he saw the handiwork of God in everything. Jack wanted to make these aluminum tags. And each tag was going to have a unique number. And it also had a mailing address on it because he wanted to find out, put them on these um, geese and find out where the uh, migratory flight patterns were for these geese. So he had to start catching these geese. And this was in 1909, he started catching geese by hands or small nets. And then eventually, 1915, he created this big one. It was like 40 feet by 120 feet. It was over this, this body of water, it had two trap doors. So he caught a lot of geese. And then he tagged them. And you can imagine these geese were probably ecstatic when they realized they were going to be released. So they kind of lost the fear of man. The man handled them, and they survived to tell the tale. So they were happy, and they were now more bold. But what I especially liked about Jack's idea is that he would add part of a Bible verse on each tag. And that's a wonderful example of do everything as unto the Lord. You know, he figured, I might not be able to go and share my faith in all the corners of this continent, but these birds are already going. So why wouldn't I take this opportunity to reach someone that I might not otherwise have an opportunity to go and see myself? So this 16-year-old man, well, he's a man now, but he's describing as when he was a 16-year-old, he was helping his father clean the geese, and he's removing the tags, and one of the tags, he starts reading the information on it, it's got all this information, and then he saw these words. He careth for you. And he thought to himself, who's this talking about? Who cares for me? He took these words personally. You know, the seed of the word had been sown. Now it was working in him. And it kept at him until this young man went and found a Christian. And that Christian now was able to open a Bible, show him from God's word how he can be saved. Jack planted the seed, another watered, God gave the increase. You know, you might go a lifetime sharing your faith and not seeing anyone come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, most of us, I would dare say, are going to be seed sowers that won't actually get to see the harvest. Nevertheless, We rejoice knowing that we've done our part. His story led me to think, hey, if a goose 
can lose the fear of a man and make a bold stand in the midst of bullets flying over its head, why can't I be bold enough to go and tell someone the truth of God's love? Because if I believe the Bible, it should move me with compassion. It should give me a sense of urgency. The other day, uh, Carrie and I were jesting, and he made this comment that I found to be quite profound. Uh, He knew that today's message was going to be called sharing my faith. So he jokingly said, now don't share all your faith because, you know, you've got to keep some for yourself. And that statement was truly thought-provoking. Because normally when you have something, the more of it that you give away, the less you have for yourself. But the truth of the matter is that when you take the time to share your faith, this amazing thing happens. Your portion doesn't decrease. In fact, it doesn't even remain the same. It's greatly multiplied. Your faith is greatly multiplied. The more you share your faith, the more faith you have to share. So, I, of course, I thanked him for that comment, and I quickly claimed it as an illustration so that he wouldn't be able to use it. So, but let that thought bless you. The more you share your faith, the more faith you have to share. You know, maybe you're here today and you believe in God. You believe that His Word is true. Maybe you consider yourself a person of faith. But you never have come to the point where you've completely surrendered to God. You might even be concerned for your friends and your family and you don't want them to go to hell. If that's your situation... You need to understand that you will not be able to truly help anyone get saved until you yourself take that step of faith and ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. If you've ever taken a flight on a big, huge passenger jet, you would have seen the instructions for the oxygen mask. They explained that before you try to help someone, you have to put the mask on yourself first. You need to do that first. Because if you don't, you're going to pass out. And then the very person you wanted to help is going to be in the same predicament as you. You need to remember, God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that you should perish. He wants you to turn to Him, believe Him, and believe the Gospel. You know, if you're not completely sure what that means, there's many people here today that would love the opportunity to be able to take a Bible and show you from God's Word that you can have everlasting life. And we don't know if we have tomorrow, so we need to settle that today. So I'm just going to close in prayer, and then I think there's a final song that we're going to be singing. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and kindness towards us sinners. Thank you, Father, for, for providing the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, as the only way of salvation. 
Lord, thank you for giving us what we don't deserve, which is the forgiveness of sins. And Father, thank you for giving us, of those, uh, for those of us that have put their faith in you, Lord, thank you for giving us a place in heaven to spend with you for eternity. Lord, we worship you today in song. Uh, we worship you uh, by studying your word. Lord, may our worship continue as we leave this place today and that we share the gospel this coming week. Lord, may it be a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to you. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.